0: Timothy chapter 3 We're going to start right here Now, Kyle, your your misfortune is that You have a pastor that said, no, I'm preaching your, your ordination Because I preached my own ordination <laughs> They let me, and I did 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 this is a true saying if a man desires the office of a bishop he desireth a good work a bishop must be blameless the husband of one wife vigilant sober of good behaviour given to hospitality apt to teach not given to wine no striker no not greedy For filthy liqueur, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own household well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man knoweth not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? He must not be a novice, lest he he be lifted up with pride and he fall into the condemnation. Of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. You see, here we have what's commonly called the qualifications for a pastor or the qualifications for an overseer. And I'm going to show you in just a minute that these qualifications are very similar to the qualifications that Paul tells Titus are the qualifications for an elder. The reality here is is that this is what's going on, and Paul did this with Timothy. Timothy was set up in Ephesus, not as an apostle, but as a pastor, an overseer. And he was to ordain other people in other cities as elders. And Titus is charged with the same task as an elder himself. Peter, when he's writing to the dispersion, he says, I write unto you as an elder to fellow elders. The understanding of this is he's talking to the pastors, the bishops of these churches. And the first thing that we must know is that it's good that men want to do God's work. Amen. It is good that men feel called to God's work. Because as they seek to do that, they're seeking a good work. Amen. But it also lays down some heavy charges. That he must be blameless. How many of us, how many of us could even fathom that reality in our own life? You see, the pastor of a church must strive in everything to be as blameless as possible. That no one can bring a charge against him or the church that he is presiding over. Blameless. Husband of one wife. Vigilant. Watchful. Amen. Vigilant. That word vigilant, we don't use that word very much now. But that means ever watchful. Watchful of what? Will you go to read what Paul tells Timothy. Watch thyself. And thy doctrine. Amen. We're going to get into that. Vigilance is I'm watching what I'm preaching. I'm watching how I'm living. I'm watching what's going on around me. I'm watchful over the flock of God that has been entrusted to me. This is what it means to be vigilant. Sober. You have to be sober in your thoughts. Not fanciful, not extravagant, but Sober, understanding the realities of the situations that you're facing, understanding the spiritual realities of what it is you're doing up here. Because I'm not up here to look good. I'm not up here to to win the praise of men as we noted in Micah and 1 Samuel 15. Because if I'm worried about what the people think and what the, the people are going to do to me and I ignore God's word and ignore God's command, I have failed just as surely as Saul did. Paul lays this charge to Timothy, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, correct With all long-suffering and doctrine. See, we don't want pastors to do that no more. We want pastors that only pat us on the back and tell us how great we are and tell us how good we are. But they never, never question us of why we're still in a fight with Sister Susie so-and-so for 25 years. And we haven't made up and we haven't forgiven and we haven't made reconciliation, which is our job. That's the only ministry Christians have is the ministry of reconciliation. Pastors must be willing to do these things. Of good behavior, given to hospitality, it's very important for pastors to be open, loving, caring, willing to accept people, willing to talk to people, willing to meet people where they are. Apt to teach. Think of all the qualifications that this man has, and I think he has an aptitude to teach. And I enjoy that about him. I think when we what we must remember is we must also have an aptitude to be taught. Amen. So in our teaching, we must not think in ourselves having arrived, but to be ready to learn from God ourselves. Not given to wine, no striker. Now that no striker one got me. As a pastor, I, I've been ordained now eighteen years, and uh, some what ten years ago, eleven years ago, when I when I thought I wanted to be an MMA fighter. Okay, who knows why people do It's a midlife crisis? Give me a break. Okay, but while I was training to do that, I was in my own personal time studying. And in the ESV and the NIV where it says not a striker, it says uh, not a lover of violence. And that hit me. Why do I like this? Well, because my flesh likes the violence. And immediately the Holy Spirit put a check in me and said, this isn't for an elder. Now somebody else, they might be able to do it. But a pastor who cannot love violence or be a striker, a brawler found myself in a predicament where I had to choose between what I what I believed wholeheartedly the word of God said or what I wanted to do. This is a, a charge that's going to go on and on in your life. You're going to see what, what you want to do. You're going to see what you would hope to do and then you're going to see what the word of God says to do. You have to do that. One that ruleth his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? He must not be a novice, lest he be lifted up with pride. All these things are so important. And generally, because I'm Baptist, you know, the Baptists get stuck on just the first verse. You've got to be the husband of one wife, right? Like, they don't go any farther. And they don't even read the rest of these qualifications. Therefore, you got pastors in in churches that shouldn't even be pastors because they're drunkards or they're abusive, and there's other things going on in their life. Oh, but they got one wife. Big deal. They got one out of fifteen, and you think that makes them qualified? Turn with me, if you will, now to Titus chapter one. Titus chapter 1 and we're going to start at verse 5. For this cause I left thee in Crete that thou shouldest set in order the things that I am wanting and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused, of riot or unruly for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God not self willed, not angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy liqueur but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men sober, just holy, temperate holding fast The faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. This is another. it, it, It adds to the end of this list from Timothy. Now that. We understand the pastor is supposed to be this way. It also tells us that a pastor is also supposed to be able to, by his word that he holds faithfully to the word that he's taught, will be able to convince gainsayers or those who don't believe, those who are against the gospel, those who doubt it, those who question it. So now we see the local pastor is not just a Shepherd taking care of a flock, but also a shepherd guarding a flock. Amen. These qualifications are nearly identical in every way, and they, they take a few things and they boil them down sober, just, holy, temperate. When they're talking about holy, they're meaning your lifestyle, how you're living must be in a line in accordance with what you preach. Amen. Why did Jesus ridicule the Pharisees? He said, you listen to the Pharisees, but don't do what they do. Because they don't practice what they preach. You see, a servant of the living God, a pastor, an elder, an overseer, must live what he preaches finally I'm going to move to some exhortations that are, we find in scripture turn with me if you will we've, we've, we've laid out in 1st Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 the qualifications of what it means to be an elder now we're going to give some exhortation to our potential elder so turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to read verse 1 through 4. The elder which the elders which are among you I exhort whom I am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed feed the flock of God which is among you. Take The oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy liqueur, but of readiness of mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but as examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. You see here, now we see... Wholeheartedly, the exhortation that Peter gives is all of the qualifications of an elder. Those things are true, but I'm exhorting you, your job, pastor, your job, elder, is to feed the flock of God. Not as a Lord rules over servants, but as an example to them. That's why the holy conduct, that's why the life must match what we preach because we're not Lord over anyone when you step behind this pulpit. You're actually the servant of everyone. So my life has to be made in such a way that I'm an example to the flock that I am set as an overseer over. I think it's important for us to remember That Timothy ends that I have to be an example even to those who are without. So that they won't even have anything to say about me. So how I present the gospel and how I interact with a lost and dying world is just as important as how I interact with those in this room that I say I love and I care for. Why? Because I'm supposed to love my enemies. To do good for them that despitefully use and persecute me. Amen? Amen. This is important. Another exhortation that I would like to turn to. Acts chapter 20 at verse 28. And it's just one verse. And this verse is important to me because it lays the foundation that though we are going to lay hands on you and and, uh, ordain you for gospel ministry. This call does not come from us. But you are set apart by the Holy Ghost to the work of the ministry. So Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, he said, "Take heed therefore unto yourself and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you an overseer. Feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood." And this is Paul stopping by Ephesus to exhort the elders of the church. That's the whole purpose of this. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. For the final time. And he's going to exhort these elders. As he's on his way. Because he knows when he gets to Jerusalem. He's going to be put into captivity. And then he's going to be taken to Rome. To die. The reality of this witness. Is that we see. That it is yes. The hands of the presbytery lay upon those the charge of ordination, but they are not, that's not done until the call of the Holy Ghost puts a seed in the heart of man to say, this is what I believe God wants me to do. Without that evidence, your work is in vain. And I'll say it the other way around. If you only feel the call of God in your heart and nobody else sees the call of God in your life, if you go out to do it, you're working in vain because we must do what the Scriptures say. You must submit yourself one to another. You must submit yourself to the church of God and be leveled, an overseer, an elder, in their sight as well. We need balance we, we have far too many people who claim the offices uh, 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 of overseer and, you know, and nowadays apostle, and and they, their ministry is all about uh, getting wealthy and getting stuff, and, and and the reality is they're wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're they're making other people twice the devil of hell that they are, and the end. Is destruction. No one ever called, God never called a single person, not one, without confirmation by other people. Even Paul. What happened to Paul? Paul, sure, he got knocked off his horse. Jesus told him this is what you're gonna do, you're gonna preach my gospel to the Gentiles. What did Paul do? He had to sit in a room for three days and pray. And immediately after Ananias come and found him, he took him to the church. Paul was baptized. Paul stayed there and was confirmed in Antioch. The realities of this are important. Because none of us are called to ministry alone. Or on our own authority. Turn with me for one more. And then we'll close in 2nd Timothy. But I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. This is very important. Now this Paul's writing or uh, the, the writer of Hebrews is writing to these Hebrews in the dispersion, right? And we understand he's talking to the whole church, but there's something that's important that cannot be missed. Chapter 13, verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourself, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, that it is unprofitable that is unprofitable for you. I want you to understand that elders are set among us not to rule over us in a a bad way but they are over us and they're accountable to God for our souls and what you take on as an elder is not a simple responsibility of preaching a sermon you know three times a month or whatever you're being entrusted by God To think about men and women's souls and to care for them as a loving shepherd. This is the call of God upon the elder. Now I'm going to give my charge to you, Kyle. And it isn't my own. It's definitely not. But we're going to give you the same charge that Paul gave Timothy in Second Timothy chapter four verse one through five. Then we will move on to our examination. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. And his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn their ears away from the truth. And shall be turned unto Fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. Why did I choose this charge from Paul to Timothy? Because this is Paul's final words. This is the last. Huh? Okay. Why did I cho- choose this exhortation from Paul to Timothy because this is more than likely Paul's last words that were ever written when you close out 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter 2 excuse me 2 Timothy chapter uh 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 through 5 are probably the last things that Paul ever instructed Timothy in And I don't know if you get it. The gravity of that is this, that Paul knew, and he says so right after this. My life is about to be poured out like a drink offering. What's he saying? He said, I'm not going to be able to tell you anything else. And the most important thing that I can tell you right now, because I'm going to die soon. I'm about to go meet the Lord and I won't be here. So if I can leave you with any words, it is to preach the word of God. Reprove, rebuke, correct, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Don't be drawn in by all these other people that want itching ears teaching that just flatters their lusts. Because notice that's what he said in verse uh, 3 For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts. Why is it that churches nowadays are. Ordaining homosexuals and ordaining uh, uh, gays and all right with gay marriage and all right with all these other sins with with pornography in the church with 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 uh, un- indecency in the church and no no woman in the church has any kind of uh, 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 of humility or or decency or they don't dress modestly and none of these things matter why because they are heaping to themselves teachers that will let them live right in their lust. And you cannot do that and be a true preacher of God's word. Cannot do it. That's my charge to you. You can underline it in your Bible. You can highlight it and make sure and you can write these verses down And you can, I can take a picture of them and send them to you so every day you can think the same thing that I wake up thinking Lord why me I'm not good enough I don't deserve this I don't know what I'm doing but I gave it all to God I've given everything up for this church left $50,000 a year job preach for nothing to glorify God and not myself as a minister of this gospel you've got to be willing to part with everything you're not going to do it alone either amen amen Kyle I'm going to have you come on up here and, and have a seat, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit you out here where everybody else can see you. You guys got to uh, deal with a little bit of formality for a moment, okay? Uh, I had to, I don't know why that's all wrapped up around there. with oh. you, uh, I had to deal with a little bit of formality for just a moment. I, uh, Normally, Baptists uh, have a pretty set list of things to ask. But since I'm not like the most conventional uh, Baptist, we're going to forego 42 or whatever questions there are. And I'm going to ask about 10, okay? Is that okay? And I say that because Kyle and I have spent every week hours together together. Okay. For over a year, I know Kyle very well. This church knows Kyle very well. and I wish the other people that are part of this church were here for this, but I I say this in all in, in, with all seriousness. I prayed for a long time that God would send me somebody that could partner with me in ministry. That can, you know, we can be, you know, that Paul and Silas that that. David and Jonathan, amen. Now, you can't take David and Jonathan thing because me and Mike's got that, okay? So you're going to be, we're Paul and Silas, okay? But I want to I ask just a few questions here uh, so that this is understood that I did not go into this lightly. I've actually been praying about this uh, for several months. And decided a little over a month ago that this is what we're going to do. So I want to ask you a few questions and just answer them just as quickly as you can. So we're not here all night. Everybody likes dinner. I like dinner. They like dinner. Can you articulate the gospel for me in uh, short order? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Is that on? Make sure you turn it on. It's on. Hey. No, they got it muted. Talk into it. Testing, testing, testing. Okay, it's on. I got you. (laughs) Matt's like, see what happens when I'm not behind the wall. (laughs) All right, well, the the gospel, uh, the gospel, uh,
1: the word gospel comes from the Greek word, which means good news. Uh, And it's particularly the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. But the assumption that there is a good news and that there is salvation automatically assumes that there is bad news and there is something from which man needs saved from. And it is not from his uh, financial death and not primarily from his physical ailments, but it is from... The problem of sin. Romans chapter 5 says that in Adam all sin, in Adam all die, and in Christ all men live. So the gospel seeks to answer what, uh, seeks to provide an answer about what it is that God has done in the person of Jesus Christ for the sin of humanity. And, um, So the gospel was first proclaimed in seed form, in promise form, to Adam and Eve in the garden. Right after they thinned, uh, God said that he would put enmity between uh, thy seed, or between the seed of the serpent of the devil and the woman's seed. and. The seed would crush the head of the serpent and would receive a strike on his heel. And we see that in the crucifixion of Christ, in the blood atonement of Christ, he was wounded for our transgressions, Isaiah 53, bruised for our iniquities. And this is what God, the Father, has done for sinners in Christ Jesus was to send him to be the representative of, for all mankind. And in order to receive. The salvation that is promised in this gospel. You must. Put
0: your trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All present. Evaluating this statement. Does it sound does it sound like the Bible? Does it sound like the scriptures? What the scriptures teach? Amen. Yes or no? Yes. Okay good. Make sure you, you're listening to me. Okay. Share with me your personal testimony and explain or your call to ministry. Okay.
1: Uh, my personal testimony: uh, I was uh, I came to know the Lord at a fairly young age. Uh, I grew up uh, had an aunt and uncle that loved me a lot and uh, took me to church at uh, First Southern in Miers, Texas. Uh, First Southern Baptist Church of Um uh, I come to know the Lord during a really tough period in my life. Uh, I, uh, I found when I was around six years old, I, uh, I was the one that discovered that my grandma had died. And uh, so I came at a very young age to grapple with the reality of life and the uh, brevity of life, how short life sometimes is. And uh, as I was going to church and I was listening to uh, Reverend Calloway minister, I was forced to grapple with the fact that uh, uh, it's given to man wants to die, and then comes the judgment. I came to understand at a very young age that I would stand before the Lord in judgment one day. And the only way to escape that judgment was to hide myself in Christ. Pastor Dell made that very plain to me. And so I trusted in the Lord, repented of my sins then, and uh, I was baptized about 6 months later at uh in Well, no, it was longer than that, excuse me. But um, I I was baptized in 1999 at Big Hill Lake by Pastor Delbert Calloway. Um, I went to church all of my youth. I I, I grew up and, you know, I, I had a zeal for evangelism, for telling people about Jesus. I can remember one point, I was probably about 11 or 12 years old. If that old and uh, we had a rack at the front of the church that had all different kinds of gospel tracts and little Gideon Bibles and cards about the church and its services and stuff and I, I wanted to, uh, I told Pastor Dale I was going to make, a, make ba- a bag up, make bags up with these little tracks and I was going to go around and knock on people's doors and he had explained to me why that probably wasn't a very good idea for a kid my age to do. But I was zealous to do the work. I wanted people to know about Jesus. At that point, I didn't want to be a preacher. I just wanted people to know what I knew about Jesus Christ. Because I feel strongly that if anybody does come to the knowledge of what I came to the knowledge of about Jesus Christ, they would trust in him for salvation. When did you get called to preach? Um, well... I was probably about 16 and I had had the opportunity to lead some Bible studies. Um, Some Bible studies at a friend's home. And, uh, well, it started out, somebody else was leading them, But then one night they asked me to lead and I led them. And I enjoyed teaching. I enjoyed digging into the Word. Um, I enjoyed um, learning about God. And uh, so... It definitely started by way of teaching Bible study when I was about 16. Then by the time I was 19 years old, I was teaching Bible studies not only at my friend's home, but I was teaching Bible studies at the, uh, the care home there in Yodosha. It used to be the Grand Villas. And uh, I would go up there and I would sit every Thursday night. I would go up there and I would give about a 30-minute Bible study, and anybody who's listening to me talk knows that that's a—I was keeping it really brief back then—and <laughs> uh, I was, I was leading those Bible studies, and I enjoyed—and and you said the call to preach, but this is this was the call of the ministry to pastor. No, oh, that's good. I, uh, I, I enjoyed not only teaching these elderly saints that were preparing to go home and meet the Lord but I enjoyed the times that I would get to pray with each of them after having uh, preached to them um, I don't know how many times I'd go around and I'd ask people that needed any, any prayer and uh, they'd say oh yeah I need a lot and, and I would go to the room and I would sit there and they would talk to me and they would pour their heart out to me, and I would sit there and I would pray with them, whether with physical ailments or spiritual struggles, and I enjoyed that. And I felt then that that was the primary call of the pastoral ministry was to not only to shepherd and labor in doctrine, but to shepherd people in the care of their souls and their bodies. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. All right. Number three, I don't know if you could share this, or maybe she would have I, well, to, but I, well, I'm going to ask you anyway. Can you share with us your wife's salvation experience, and does she support your call to ministry? Uh, well, uh,
1: you know, she could share it if she would like. Um, but She, she, she probably
0: she, wants you to do it. Okay.
1: She, uh, <laughs> she grew up in church. Her parents had her in church. And, uh, I think she was about five when she had a gospel conversation with her dad. Her dad explained the gospel to her as she accepted Christ. Amen. Amen. And, uh, was baptized shortly there later. Uh, she was really the encouragement to me, uh, rethinking the ministry because I had, for the longest time, I had put the idea off and, uh, was focused on making a living for my family. Thought so, you know, I still had that desire to teach and that desire to share Jesus with others. But she was the one that, uh, as we began dating and becoming engaged, talking to each other about the Lord and growing up in church, um, you know, she was... I think, I'd like to think she was kind of impressed with my knowledge of the scriptures. Uh, and, uh, but she, uh, she said, have you ever considered? And I was like, oh yeah. I've, I've considered it. I thought about it, but I put it off for a long time. And, uh, so she's definitely encouraging me. She supports me. She knows um, what the call, what the call entails. She knows what they call and tells not only of me, but of her and my family growing up. Um, we've learned a lot, of course, from watching you and Carmen here and watching uh, our you know, pastors growing up and stuff, what the call is for the pastor's wife. And so she's very supportive and I, I wouldn't be sitting here today without her support.
0: Amen. Now, first of all, if Carmen ever saw anything uh, uh, impressive about me when she met me, it was beyond me. Okay, I'm just <laughs> letting you know. Uh, I, I, I thought, I thought like the same it. thing. I was like, "What in <laughs> the world is she seeing me?" Uh, let's let's try to move a little bit faster. Right. I may I may I may buckle it down to a little less, uh, just for time's sake. Uh, but. Do you believe that the Bible. Oh, hold on, I missed one. Number four. What are your plans for future systematic study of God's Word?
1: Well, uh, uh, I work full time. I I will be bivocational. And uh, so I don't have any plans currently for uh, seminary or anything of that nature, but um, my library is growing. I do a lot of reading, and, uh, I plan to, uh, make use of the various means that are out there now, uh, with, with the, uh, invention of the internet and all that, there's just all kinds of good information out there, um, I plan to stay studied within our, uh, doctrinal statement here at the Church, the 1689 Confession, and, uh, further my knowledge by the reading of god's word and reading of faithful men who have gone before me
0: amen amen good good pastors can never stop learning ever uh number five and this this by the way these questions are not in any particular order of relevancy okay they're all relevant uh how do you, uh, do you believe the Bible is the inerrant and infallible word of God? Yes, I do. Okay, good. <laughs> that was easy. Man, I, why did not we have start with those questions, right? That was a lot easier. <laughs> maybe you should. Uh, here's one that will maybe take a little while. How would you describe God? How would I describe God? Uh,
1: Well, the Westminster Catechism describes him as the first and chiefest or the first and greatest being. Uh, We believe with historical Christianity that uh, God is omnipotent, God is omniscient. He knows all and he sees all. We also believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe that he controls the world. It is not as he set the world into motion and then stepped away and left it to men but he is in meticulous control of this world he is the creator of all things he is the sustainer of all things and at the end of days he will be the judge of all things
0: Uh, i'm just going to throw this on there because this is we're talking about uh, how would you describe god uh is god a trinity oh yes
1: uh, yes, God is triune—Father, Son, and Holy Spirit—but yet there
0: is only one God. Um. Well, that's important because you're, when, when you almost every, almost every cult deviates somewhere in their belief in who God is, and that that view starts. And it lives and dies on your doctrine of God. If your doctrine of God is wrong, then there's going to be so many errors in everything else that you teach that it's going to be hard for uh, those who hear anything from you to really come to a true saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Because we have to understand the Bible makes it evident and clear that God there's only one God. Yet there is still a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and those three are not the same, but they are one. Yeah. And how that works is no different than how you have a, a, a body and a soul and a spirit all at the same time. Yes. But we know that's true too. Yes. Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, uh, let's quicken the pace here just a minute, just for a minute. Who is Christ? Uh,
1: Christ is the Redeemer of God's elect Christ is um, He's the Savior He's the only begotten Son of God Who was born under woman Born under the law To redeem those who were under the law He came And He lived a sinless life And He was Crucified and raised again on the third day For our justification And it is by The virtue of His virgin birth life death and resurrection that we stand before god he earned our righteousness his righteousness was imputed to us our sin was imputed to him on calvary and he bore it all he is a he is not a partial redeemer or not a possible redeemer he is a redeemer and whosoever believeth in him shall
0: have eternal life amen amen and I just like throwing out there John 630 or it's John 639 and 40 where he says this is the will of God that anyone who looks to the Son and believes will have eternal life. Uh, that's just been my personal favorite verse over the last couple of years. Uh, I used to just stick to you know uh, John 316 for that but uh, when you really catch that he says this is the will of God in John 639 that's important that's important. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're gonna kind of do this one. It's number eight. You kind of answered it already, but I'm gonna ask anyway. What does it mean to be saved, and why do you need salvation? I mean, that's yeah, uh, pretty much explained in what is the gospel. But, yeah. But uh, just a little detail. What does it mean to be saved? I guess. Yeah. Well, to, and that that is the
1: question because uh, especially with the. Uh, Rapid expanse of nominal Christianity where uh, people are uh, coming to uh, churches for their own reasons. They are coming for the entertainment and the stuff and not for Christ. And they walk forward, you know, they might walk forward at an evangelistic meeting or something. And then, the, you know, you talk to them years later on the street and you say, You know, well, do you know Jesus? Well, yeah, I got saved when I was five. Well then, the next question is: You're saved. Uh, what are you saved from? And as I said earlier, to to have salvation, automatically assume that there is something, there is the condition which men need saved from, and that is sin.
0: All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to number nine. How do you describe the biblical role and function of the pastor? And I want this, like, really short. Yeah, uh, really short. uh, (laughs) Pastors are to labor in teaching,
1: preaching, and the spiritual care of the flock of God.
0: Man, you did that. That's a good answer. I like that. That, You did really good for shortening that. I would have been here for 20 minutes. Yeah, well, you said to keep it short. Yeah, yeah, I was trying. We're, we're working on it. And well, you, he is. I'm not even trying. I, whatever. However long it takes. I'm old. I got all the time in the world. I'm just like, I'll, I'll stay here all day explaining this to you. Uh, number 10. Who's laughing over there? Barbie's oh, my <laughs> Well, I got told when I was 20 I was old. So, you know. Uh, number 10. Offer a brief description of your convictions on human sexuality, marriage, divorce, divorce, excuse me, and remarriage. Marriage is a uh, institution of creation.
1: Uh, when God made for Adam Eve out of his own body, He put them together, and He said, "For this reason, because He created woman out of man, shall a woman leave her family and cleave unto her husband and a man shall leave his home and cleave unto his wife and I believe that marriage is between one woman and one man and it is a permanent bond it is a covenant relationship and I think it's especially uh, important in this day and age that we see it that way um, because Ephesians 5 makes it clear that Uh, The marriage is a picture of the mystery of Christ and his union with us and I think uh, our culture has um, degraded the importance of marriage and the permanence of marriage Uh, there is no picture of Christ left in modern marriage we've got as you've talked about many times uh, no fault divorces and um All this other manner of stuff that is going on and we anybody will get divorced for any reason and I think the primary reason that the Apostle Paul says that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church we need to understand what it means to love uh, love our wives as Christ loved the church Uh, Christ did not love the church with a fleeting love that only lasted until he discovered that we had irreconcilable differences. He loved us uh, permanently. He sealed his oath to us with his life, giving his very life for us. And I believe that is to be pictured in marriage. Uh, yes, there are biblical grounds for divorce, but I believe that grace is always the first
0: measure, as it was with Christ to his church. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm going to make this the final question. Uh, we could ask more and more and more and more. Um, I don't feel the necessity for that, but we're going to ask one last question. Provide for me a, a description of your personal and family devotion life. Uh, sure. I
1: I wake up every morning to go to work, and uh, I, I try to get up and read from the scriptures, spend my time in the scriptures. Uh, I've found recently devotionals helpful just for organizing my thoughts so that I'm not going here, there, and everywhere, but organizing my thoughts, setting down with a, a devotional or a, i got a, a, a book of Puritan prayers and I like to sit down and reflect on the rich doctrines of God, they taught in those prayers and uh, read and get up and pray for uh, pray for this church. Pray for my family. Pray for, uh, you know, those that I know that are lost and headed to hell. Pray for the salvation of those that I see and I I enjoy my morning Devotion, my time with God in the morning. Um, Of an evening, we try as far as our almost three year old son will let us to uh, sit down and to read a passage of Scripture. And we're working towards uh, implementing the catechism with him, but we also have him memorizing a verse of Scripture and that's uh it's been really encouraging to see just how much his little mind can pick up of the bible so uh, family devotion private devotion is very important to me and it's you know it's literally why we meet together on sunday it's a, sunday is a celebration of the worship that we've been having throughout the week uh i don't see much of a point in meeting together on sunday if we're not
0: worshiping god seven days a week amen amen well it, it, and I've said this in this church for years it, If Sunday is the only time you're meeting with God You got it wrong Okay it, 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 Sunday is, is It better not be the only time you're, you're praying It better not be the only time you're cracking your Bible open It better not be the only time you're speaking or talking about God Because i got news for you If you only saw your wife once a week You wouldn't be married long That's right. That's <laughs> Promise you I promise you, you would not be married long, okay? Uh, It takes commitment. Now, uh, this is a portion of uh, the service that I have left for the members of Agape Fellowship Church. And since there's not a whole lot of you here today, but you are here, this is important and it's prevalent to you. Do you have any questions that you would want to ask Kyle? (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad I'm here too I am very glad Okay, so with that being said Do those members here present of Agape Fellowship Church Agree to confer and affirm this call to ministry And the ordination of Kyle Williams To the office of elder and associate pastor in our church Yes, yes, Seven. Anybody that opposes it I got two boys here to walk you right now. I'm just <laughs> Walk you right now. Just, just joking. Well, I wanna I wanna give you a few verses here, just to you can write them down if you want to. Acts chapter six, verse six. Acts chapter fourteen. You, you, you want me to wait for you, Barbie? You, yeah, yeah. No, you're fine. Acts six six, Acts fourteen twenty three, Acts thirteen one through three, and 1 Timothy four fourteen. The reason that we're bringing those verses up is every one of them are dealing with the call of a person to ministry and the laying on of hands to pray for that person going into ministry. I take this very seriously and I think that we need to be very understanding when the scripture says to lay hands on no man suddenly it is absolutely indicative that it's talking about this this is what it's meaning the laying on of hands to call people to ministry when you're calling men to ministry it is very vital that you judge righteously you you examine that person and I could have easily just taken other people's words for Kyle is this and Kyle is that. And, and I, I had to temper my own expectations over a year ago when they came here and say, OK, we're going to watch the life of this young man and see what it looks like. See if this is what God's wanting to do. And I believe it is. And I'm wanting to know if that's what you believe, too. Yes. Amen. So as we do this, we're going to close. We're going to close in prayer. We're all going to come down here, down front. I'm going to have just the, the the members of Agape Fellowship Church. We're going to come, and we're going to lay hands on him. And the visitors can come, too. It's fine. Uh, but we're going to pray, and Kyle is going to be, uh, we're going to lay hands on him and ordain him into the gospel ministry. Amen? You can put the microphone down. You, you don't need nothing else now, buddy. <laughs> All right, let's, I I can't, I got to set my mic down, okay? ordain him, Lord, to the gospel ministry, to the preaching of the gospel, to the office of pastor, elder here at this church, God, that he would share in that ministry with me, that he would walk and labor in this field, God, that we would till up the foul ground that is set before us and reap a harvest for your kingdom. God, we ask that you would bless him, that you would anoint him. Lord, that you would empower him to preach your word, to hold steadfastly, to sound doctrine. Lord, not to be moved by the world or the things of the world, but that his heart would be steadfastly focused on you, that as he goes out, out uh-huh.